Geopolitics and Empire is joined by Parallel Mike of the Parallel Systems Broadcast, which is an internet show and podcast where he discusses ideas relating to food security, finance, freedom, the end of the world as we know it. I was uh, humbled to be a guest on his program a while back, and now he's uh, here with me. Welcome to Geopolitics and Empire, Parallel Mike. Thanks so much, Hawaii. It's great to be speaking with you again. It's great to, yeah, I, I love the work that you do. And uh, I made it a point that we're going to have you on. We're not going to talk about the issues, the, the 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 problems, because I think by now people uh, know what's going on. And I need to be focusing more on solutions, prepping, uh, you know, what to do. And uh, so you've been, you've been uh, working on that. You're, I think uh, you've gone rural. Um, and so, you know, where, where should we begin? I've got a whole list of the different themes, but you know, where's one place that you might start? Um, you know, we've got the whole great reset, economy collapsing, tyranny. And so, uh, where's one place you'd like to start? Okay, maybe we could start with a recent newsletter by a very large capital fund in the US, Elliott Capital. And they sent out a newsletter to their investors and it said this, Havoy, that they believe we are potentially on a path to hyperinflation and global societal collapse. <laughs> now, this wasn't a conspiracy newsletter. This wasn't Mike on the Parallel Systems broadcast. This was a major fund that's a major investment fund speaking to their institutional investors. I think they've got a few billion under management. So once it gets to that stage when you get in mainstream, um, mainstream commentators start to discuss these things, you can probably say we are entering quite a dangerous time in human history. And that is, of course, what I talk about on my channel. So uh, maybe we could start with that, a financial collapse and potentially a societal collapse too. And how do we prepare for both? Because, of course, they're both interlinked as well. Yeah, that's a great place uh, to start. I think for many people listening, they're probably in urban areas or maybe semi-suburban. you know, suburban. Some are already in the boondocks. But, uh, you know, first thing... That comes to mind is I always cite Teddy Roosevelt, Ricardo Bossi, the Australian Special Forces two years ago. That's what he told me in the interview. He said, do what you can with what you got, where you are. Uh, you know, one simple thing, non-perishables. I, I try to build out one or two years into the future in terms of like soaps and toothpaste and um, you know, uh, different non-perishables, and plus with canned goods, you can build out a certain amount. So th those are just the simple things to beat inflation and to have. A leeway where you don't have to go to the shop um and, and buy those things like uh, for you know for toilet paper i mean it, it saves time like you you don't go to the shop just once a year or once every couple months in that sense but uh you know your thoughts on what we can do given this uh, hyperinflation yeah so i think first and foremost we have to recognize that location is probably the most fundamental aspect of getting prepared is to decide where you're going to ride this one out and where you're going to fight this one from. And where, whilst I do think that you can prepare in a city and you can survive in a urban environment, I don't think you can thrive in one. I think you would be hanging on by a thread there because that is going to be really the center of all of the chaos because it's quite simply, there's so many people packed into a small area and all those people dependent on some very loose supply chains as well, that could easily break. And even if we go with the idea that there's going to be some engineering to this collapse, and I think we all see that there's a, there is a narrative there and there's some shaping of how this collapse is going to be. 
However, even with that, there's so much that could go wrong where even if they didn't want to leave people without food for three or four weeks, that could quite easily happen. And it has happened throughout history many times before. So the cities are going to be the most dangerous place. I mean, not least just because of things like supply chains, but also because that is the place where they, the authorities, the government, the police, they have most control there, most surveillance. Uh, most of the arms of the state are located within those locations too. So when we speak about a financial and societal collapse, really you're looking at two main threats outside of all the things we're going to talk about today. The two main threats to your security would always be the state and then, of course, your fellow man. And of those two, I'd say the your fellow man is actually probably the higher risk because that's a more chaotic part of it. Whilst the state can enact more uh, deadly violence, let's say, if you was just in a crisis, it'd probably be your immediate um, concern. How are these people around me going to react? And as we all know, there's plenty of sayings about two or three days worth of hunger. And then, of course, you get to very angry, very violent scenes. So for me, the first thing that I always say to people is you need to start analyzing where you live and then place yourself in that future. So just imagine what that future is going to look like. You're going to have people that are going to be financially exhausted, potentially wiped out as the debt py- these debt pyramids in the West come collapsing down. They're already preparing for all kinds of uh, things like bank bail-ins. Uh, they're probably going to freeze the accounts of people because that is what they do in a bank bail-in. They essentially lock you out. This is happening right now in Lebanon. It happened in Cyprus. They freeze all the accounts. You can't get money out. If you can, it'd be a very small amount. And that's already all put into legislation in the West. So that's coming no matter what. But beyond that, this financial collapse that we speak about, it's unavoidable right now because of the levels of debt. And the most likely outcome of that is probably going to be hyperinflationary because that's the way it's always gone throughout history. And that's the one thing they can do is continue to print money. And of course, we're seeing that now. So of course, you're going to have people that are very angry, people that are very desperate. And then you're going to have all kinds of unexpected problems. So you've got supply chains starting to break down and nobody can pay anyone because the whole system's freezing up. You've got people realizing, oh my God, I've lost my pension. And you've got to expect that in that environment, you're going to have extreme levels of anger, frustration, depression. And if you're in that city, it's everywhere. And the whole mood's going to take over. And you can bet your bottom dollar that the state at that point is going to do what it does, which is try to orientate all that anger towards somebody or something other than themselves. You know, that's what happens throughout our history. We actually saw this in 2020. Remember, there was all the big BLM protests and there was these kind of opportunities for people to get angry in public. And that was really them shaping the anger of people from being locked down and frustrated. So first and foremost, Hawaii, you've got to imagine this future, imagine where you live, and then go through that list, things like food security, water security, financial security, and then, of course, the big one, personal security. And then project that on your current location and then start to plan around that. And if you're planning to stay in the city, you'll have a very long list of things that you need to start preparing for. A message from our sponsors. Our friends at Above Phone are on a mission to help people break free of the algorithm ghetto. They're starting with our phones because 99% of people today are addicted to the big tech ecosystem. We have alternative technologies available that Ramiro and his team at Above Phone have been evaluating. These tools are superior, not just alternatives. Are you ready to play above the rules of the surveillance capitalists? Let's remove our reliance on them for information, apps, and communications and break free of their tracking. If we don't contribute to alternative software with our participation, we may lose the few choices we have. 
When you get a degoogled above phone, everything is made simple out of the box. Just plug your cell service in and go, or use Wi-Fi only. The above privacy suite provides important services using open source software that is run reliably and privately. It gives you a VPN, private email, search engine, encrypted chat, voice and video calls, a calendar service, and an anonymous internet phone number. Because getting people on better systems is so important, they've upped their dedication to support. With each phone, you get a 30-minute support call, 24-7 email, chat support, and a knowledge base. Just like with our food, water, healthcare, schooling, and security, our tech needs to be sovereign. Browse available phones now and subscribe to the privacy suite at abovephone.com. Also, if you need health insurance that covers you wherever you may roam, check out my friend James Guzman's Borderless Health Insurance. One of the great things about living internationally is saving money on health care, but private care overseas can be expensive. Go to borderlesshealthinsurance.com to watch a short presentation on expat and digital nomad health care and sign up for a free consultation to review your options. Let me just read a, a tweet. As you said, uh, you, you said from 1935 to 1945, uh, more citizens of Europe died from forced starvation than any other cause. Food is and always will be the totalitarian's most blunt and deadly weapon against the masses. And over the past two years, uh, I've uh, people have consulted with me because I've lived around the planet, got a bunch of passports, and I'm down here in Mexico. And um, location, 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 as you said, you know, geography. There's the issue of wherever you are, urban to rural, but then of going to other countries and I always sort of say it's 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 late in the game. Uh, I've interviewed people like Dr. Mark Circus, who's down in Brazil on the end of the world farm, uh, and he he believes it's already like it's it's too late. Like if you haven't done anything, you're screwed. I'm not necessarily of that perspective. I think you can still do things. There's still some time, but you better hurry. We never know when the doors are going to close. But um, you know, when you think about going to other countries, my advice right now would be you should at least know the language or be able to learn it quickly or know someone in that foreign country. I don't think it's the best idea to go now to a country where you don't know anyone or, you know, you don't have any blood relations uh, and that sort of thing. So just any other tips on um, uh, urban to rural or as well as going to other countries? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think it's absolutely vital to try and get yourself somewhere rural. There's just so much more resiliency that is going to exist in a rural community. First and foremost, the population density is much smaller, so you've got much less threats to deal with. Of course, you've got more of a community vibe where people actually care about what other people think about them. They care about having moral standing in the community. And if somebody around where I live goes and robs a neighbor, every little village around here would know, and that person is outcast. And I've actually heard stories from neighbors about another neighbor of something they did 20 years ago. You know, people hold these things very dear in the heart. So that that is actually really useful in the crisis because it keeps people honest. Of course, you also want to be getting yourself in a community that is going to be prepared and resilient. And that doesn't have to be an end of the world Armageddon community. That can be a rural community in a country that is maybe a second world country. So, you know, first and foremost, the first world countries are going to be the most vulnerable because there's that decadence and lack of self-sufficiency. However, what we did was we arbitraged our life from going, living in the UK to rural Poland. And we chose a location where 
everyone around here has a set level of self self-sufficiency by default. So everyone heats the house on wood, for example. So they've got off-grid independent heating. Everyone has chickens. Everyone has a potato plot out back. Most of the people around here have some kind of livestock. So they'll have, you know, geese, ducks, fowl. They might have some cows. You know, if I want milk, I can just walk a mile up the, up the road there into another village and buy it directly. So there's that resiliency in terms of supply chains. I can get things locally. We can buy fish from the neighbor, like two, two, two dollars down, which is actually about, let's say about half a mile for me, right? You know, if it's go two, two houses down that way, there's a neighbor that has a big pond and he sells carp and fish. So all of these things are super useful. And you don't have to be discussing with your neighbors all of these things. Those kinds of communities have resiliency built in. And for me, that'd be ideal. You know, everyone's got a well, everyone's heating off grid. The power goes down. Well, they're used to it anyways. It happens because the infrastructure is so old, you know, and this is the kind of thing that we were thinking. It's not about building one of these futuristic preppers paradises that you see on YouTube. I don't think that's the way to go. I think the way to go is to go back to the old ways where people who have lived through hard times. So if you look to the um, communist uh, block in Europe, those countries, a lot of those people in rural places have lots and lots of resiliency because they're used to it. They've lived through it and therefore their trusting government was always low, even after uh, the hard times left. You know, he, people here still have memories of hyperinflation that happened in the 19, early 1990s. You know, even my wife remembers what it was like to live through that. So that all that all helps. Now, if you've lived in a country like the UK, like I did, it's very different. You've got a lot of people packed in. Everyone is dependent on the grid. Everyone is dependent on the food supply chains. And everyone has a certain level of expectation, too, of what the government should provide. So their psychologically resilience, psychological resiliency in a crisis will be extremely low. And the community is there and not going to be able to pull themselves out of it like a rural community. So definitely, definitely be looking rural, definitely be analyzing the the, the um, location around you. But then, like you said, the hour is late. Now, I wouldn't say give up because you think the hour is late, because let's go back to March 2020 when we had government saying, we're locking you all down, you can't go to work. Most of us at that point thought the hour was done. You know, there was no, like, you could have quite easily given up at that point and said, oh, it's over. And here we are two years later still talking about getting prepared. So I wouldn't go down that path psychologically of saying, oh, there's nothing I can do. There's always something you can do, even if it's just psychological preparedness, because that's going to be key. You can have all of the gadgets and well and all this stuff, but if you're mentally uh, weak, if you haven't done the psychological preparation, if you're not prepared to sacrifice and push and fight through this, then it's all for nothing anyways for voice. So you have to start working on that psychology. Uh, so much so that if you gave me the option of two people and one person said, right, I can I can bring all of this stuff. I can, you know, I've got loads of loads of money and I can help you out and build stuff. If you just had another person that was super strong psychologically, I'd want that guy. I don't care what someone's got, it's what they've got there. That's historically, that's always the people who survive. It's the ones who can fight through it. So, um, But like you said, there are risks too. There are risks too. If you put yourself in a rural community, if you take yourself to another country where you're an outsider, that's extremely difficult. And in a crisis, yes, you will be an outsider and people are going to be less likely to befriend you or to, you know, you could become a target yourself. You know, you can't, it's not easy to just drop yourself in a new location. That's exactly what I did, however, but my wife is from this country, although we're not from this region, and we dropped ourselves in a very rural location where people here 
know everyone here and have them for 40, 50 years. Families have lived here intergenerationally. So, you know, it's not easy to get into those communities. However, if you choose the right place, if you're an outgoing person, if you're, a, you know, if you're going to be a decent human being to one another, you're going to put yourself out there, you can do it. Uh, of course, you need the language. Language skills are key. You know, if I was here by myself, I would have struggled greatly because my language is limited, whereas my wife, she can speak the language. So I would definitely factor that in. Personal safety should be right at the top of the list alongside um, food security and fit and um, water security and those other things. You can't just abstract those things and think, right, that'll make sure I'm prepared. It won't because in a crisis, you know, anything can happen. And personal security is going to be one of the most fundamental things for you in that crisis. And as you said, yeah, ma- I guess marrying into the foreign country, if you're going to go to a foreign country. So that kind of solves uh, a number of issues where then just uh, by association, your wife is from that country. Uh, so she's she's got that connection or or like myself as I sort of married into Mexico. But then I also became fluent in Spanish and became a citizen as well. And uh and I sort of integrate and I'm I'm humbled. I'm not some like American ex- exceptionalist. And then Mexicans can sense that, that I'm on their uh, level. But of course, there is that threat that, the, I mean, they look at me and they still see me as a foreigner, even though I'm Mexican. It's kind of weird, though, because in America, all these foreigners come in and become American. And the, we all look at each other as Americans and you, you, everyone's an American. But here it's like, even when I become a Mexican, I'm still <laughs> still not uh completely Mexican, but you, you mentioned hyperinflation. Um, just thoughts on what to do there. You know, a lot of people think, I, I, I think everyone needs to have some silver, some gold, um, some cash, uh, maybe some some crypto. Uh, and then beyond that, I don't, I don't really do stocks uh, myself, but just, just thoughts on what to do with our assets or savings, however much anyone has. I think it's really important to understand that none of us can predict the future on that. All we can do is look at that bell curve, bell curve of probabilities. And what we've found over the past, let's say, three to five years, because we've lived in this fiat uh, Ponzi scheme and we've got these massive debt pyramids now. I mean, you've got global debt over 350 trillion. You've got quadrillions in derivatives that have uh, been put into the system. And then what they've done is they've essentially financialized everything. So all of our futures are locked into this system in terms of our pensions. And just recently in the UK, we almost had our pension funds go bust. That would have brought down our banking system. And the central bank, of course, stepped in to bail it out. But there's only so many bailouts they can do before you sacrifice the currency. And that's already what we're seeing. We're seeing the inflation take off. It's officially 10% in the UK. But I've done my own calculations, and you're talking more like 30%, uh, probably even higher, depending on what you're buying. If you're looking at the cost of energy and the cost of fuel, then it's much much higher than that. So there's only so long that they can continue to do this, Hawaii, and bail out the system before that inflation just runs away and we get to hyperinflation. And I think within two years, probably. So you have to start protecting yourself now. Now, for people who know monetary history, you'll understand that gold has always been money and it always will be money. It's pure money and it's analog too. It's nobody else's counterparty. So unlike cryptos, for example, where I'd have to have access to uh, access to certain parts of their state infrastructure, I'd have to be able to go online. I'd have to have energy for that. And it would have to operate within systems, technological systems that they can monitor and surveil. So crypto really is a technology 
that relies on other technologies, uh, whereas gold is completely analog, as is silver. And people understand that. So particularly if you're going to a country where people uh, are used to trading in cash, used to working face to face, you know, if you work, if you're in a rural community where you're dealing with uh, people who are selling raw milk, for example, if I took my phone and started talking about crypto, they'd look at me glazed eyes that I have no idea. But I can guarantee if I pulled out a silver coin, they'd completely understand what that is. Particularly if you get junk silver from the country that you're living in, because everyone has that affinity. Oh, I understand what it is. I know it's valuable. Uh, particularly in countries that have had hyperinflation, everybody there will understand the value of gold and silver because those things were outlawed during hyperinflation. So I've got a funny story that I always tell Hawaii about how the wedding rings, they probably hate me for saying this. I don't think they know that I tell this story, but their wedding rings got smuggled into the country in the behind of a cousin. He smuggled 27 rings from Russia into Poland up his uh, backside. And that's what people used to have to do to survive. So they understand the hardships. They understand the value of real things. So I would focus more on that. However, if you like cryptocurrencies, if that's what you're into and you know that space, then fair enough, that's not a bad idea too. But personally, I would certainly, certainly start to focus on exiting the current system with some of your money. Very liquid assets like gold can be easily transferred back into the currency. Any currency, any country on planet Earth, you can use that gold immediately to transfer into the local currency. Now, just to give you an example of how liquid gold is compared to other assets, I was recently in the Czech Republic, and I had some British pounds that I had not yet exchanged. So I said to my wife, let's take them to the Czech Republic with us, and we'll use that to pay for our little holiday there. Anyways, I goes to a currency exchange, and I pulled out my notes. Uh, I had about 400 pounds, and I put it on the counter, and she looked at me like I just dropped. Well, I can't say what I, what I want to say. <laughs> she looked at me like I'd put something obscene on the counter, and she said, I, I can't take that. And I was like, I couldn't believe it. I was like, what do you mean? She said, no, we ain't interested in that. She'd try the one up the street. So I tried the one up the street. She wouldn't take it. I tried the next one. The third one, begrudgingly, after some persuasion, took my notes. And this is what's happening to the currencies. Now, if I, I checked immediately, I said to my wife, I'm going to check if I had a gold sovereign. Could I have traded that? And I could have traded that in about 15 places in the city. So that was that's just one example of how paper money is already becoming undesirable, particularly if you got out of the host country that you live in. Um, so that, that would be my advice. It would be to start exiting paper assets. If it's locked in this system, If it, even if you think it's safe, it could be a stock portfolio, it could be vaulted metals even. All of those things have tons of counterparties. And once the system starts to um, collapse, once you have a major financial crisis, potentially a bank will go under. People keep talking about credit suites. The moment something like that happens, all of the counterparties realize that they're on the hook too. That's what happened in the UK recently. And then the whole system's at risk. And anything that's in that system will essentially be trapped. And if the system does come down, then you're talking about years and years of figuring out who owes who what. And if you expect to get your money out of that system, you're probably not going to. But even if you did, Hawaii, it would be years down the line. So you have to be thinking, how would I fund myself? How would I survive for two, three, four years without becoming 100% dependent on the state? Because you might be able to survive it, but I guarantee that would mean giving up, giving up some of your fundamental human rights and freedoms to the state who will be saying, right, we'll give you the food, we'll give you X, Y, and Z, but you now have to sign up to you know, a QR code scheme. You now have to stand in line and basically enact whatever processes or tyrannies they're trying to force on society. So that's the way I'd see it is 
Don't see it. I mean, get some silver for transactional purposes. Use gold to protect your wealth. And it may be that that has to take a long period of time before you can go back into a new currency. But it's more about protection now, boy. It's certainly not about speculation or earning money or any of those things. So, you know, cryptos to me was mainly a speculation for people. So if you was in them for those purposes, get out of the speculative assets, put it into something that you trust in. And uh, yeah, that was my opinions on the ones that I would personally be looking at. Yeah, and just on, on having, as you said, some of that stuff, I mean, you could have it in your home, in one of your homes, or in other locations that are not your home physically stored away. And this is where you get creative. You know, when I first came to Mexico, 2010, uh, I think I, I rented a place that was not in a gated community. It was open. And I think it was from 2011. Between 2011 and 2013, my home had been robbed three times. And at that point, you know, I, didn't, I didn't have much. I didn't even have, well, I, I did get a car later, but um, no, I just had like one gold coin, some cash I kept at home. And they came three times raiding my house. They broke through my door. They told me a car pulled up with men and they smashed my doors and raided my house. And they didn't get any of my cash or gold coin. And you, you got to be creative. So I've been three times. They've And they thought this is, they got this foreigner here in Mexico you know, he must have money. They thought like I was a foreigner. I'm rich, which I wasn't. And and uh, they just kept coming back. Like they couldn't believe that I didn't have anything. I mean, I didn't even have a television. I'm a minimalist. And it's just like, it was just funny. And and I had pranks. Uh, you know, I had exploding cigarettes. And so I found on the floor when I came back and found my house robbed, raided, uh, an exploded cigarette on the ground. So one of the thieves took my cigarettes, which exploded in his face. And uh, so I, I got him. Uh, and so anyways, um, one of my other thoughts is surviving the algorithm ghetto. So as these digital controls come in more, I guess you're in a place where you're more rural, so you don't have to deal with that. But maybe there are times where you have to go to the city. Um, a lot of us are in the urban or suburban areas or will need to travel. Uh, you know, some of us have our bank accounts shut. I just read in Nigeria, they tried to introduce the CBDC e-Naira. Many people were not using it. What did the government do? They drastically limited the weekly uh, cash withdrawals. Now it's like $250 a week that a Nigerian, um, that, that's how much they can pull out in, in, in cash. So I can see this sort of thing going on. Um, I'm thinking about redundancies. Like I've got my internet. I just ordered an Elon Musk uh, Starlink to have so I can have mobile internet in case something happens. Uh, you, you got a cell phone. Um, you got, I'm thinking of getting a satellite phone as well. So having these uh, solar power, I've got solar power so I can charge some of my devices. Um, even if my electricity is, is shut off, I can still have used the Starlink and, uh, my computer to, to continue <laughs> communicating if my electricity is off. Just, uh, you know, um, have you thought about loopholes? How to survive if they put these di digital controls uh, on us? Yeah, so 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 let's just say that we've already got all of our basics. So we've got a food store, we've got our well, we've got water, and we've got a backup energy system because, of course, those three are key. You've took care of your finances. You've put it somewhere safe in your mind where you think, right, it's safe, it's outside the system, counterparties are minimal. And then you start to think about, well, what comes next? And, of course, we know what comes next because they've laid it out very clearly. They're talking about CBDCs. They're talking about this. Uh, techno totalitarian future where everyone's going to be trapped within digital systems and they essentially want us to live out our lives there so you know one of the things that we did when we chose a place was to choose a place where would, we would be quite happy to live for the next 15 20 years 
And we wouldn't have to worry if this was all we had because we're surrounded by things we like, which for us is nature. So forests where you're anonymous, nobody walks these forests but us. You know, you can go out with your dogs and you can live even if you had to. And I'm not suggesting that anyone accept this, but even if you had to, if they said, right, you can't go out, you can't change districts, then you'll still have a good quality of life. You'll still be able to live a life that's tolerable and meaningful for you. Uh, Of course, if you're in a city, that's for most people, well, maybe not for everyone, Hawaii. Some people love living in the city. They love the conveniences of it. But for a lot of us, particularly if they start to bring in this totalitarian control grid, this um, QR codes everywhere, something similar to what they've got in China, a social credit system, I don't think most people do want that. So then it could be, then you've got to start thinking creatively because let's face it, at some point, you will have aspects of your life transferred onto that without your say-so. You know, you won't get a choice in it. They'll just say, right, you have to pay us in a CBDC for taxes. Now, all of these things are further down the road. So I certainly wouldn't get too worried about it now. But I would start to think about how you start to subvert that in your own life. And you can do that by making conscious choices. Uh, I think we spoke earlier about We laughed about it because I said, whenever I create an email account, I put different names. Like I never put my real name on an email account because what they're trying to do at all times is triangulate people. You know, and that's why you have to put your phone in for everything. It's right. So, right. We can immediately trans, we immediately know that all of these accounts are linked to that phone that's linked to you. Very simple. Now your entire world is already triangulated to this one person. And that's what they're trying to do constantly. Now, I'm not technologically proficient, which is maybe a good thing because it means I don't have a lot of technologies. We share a phone, me and my wife. Uh, and personally, if I wasn't making my YouTube channel, I wouldn't really use the computer for much at all. I'd use it to maybe watch your show and watch a few others. That'd be it. And then I'd be out in the garden or I'd be out training. I'd be out doing something that I enjoy outside because I live a very physical life. And that's one thing that I always say to people is we need to start trading the things that they seduced us with to get us into this artificial life, what I call the fake reality. We have to start trading them for real, meaningful experiences and going through that process will not only make your life much more meaningful and enriching, it will also just by default start to take you outside of their surveillance state that they're building. You know, they don't want people to enjoy walks in nature because walks in nature cannot be surveilled unless you take your phone with you. And actually in the UK right now, one of our largest forests, Sherwood Forest, has become the first 5G forest in the country. So they've literally put 5G um, I don't know if you know much about 5G, but they have to have the receivers very close together for them for it to actually work. This is why everywhere will have to be covered in the um, receivers for the signals. And the forest is like this now. And kids are going to be going to the forest there and putting on VR headsets and walking around, walking around the forest in nature. So, I mean, you couldn't have destroyed a beautiful experience more than what they've done that you know we take i used to work with children and we take them out to nature to unplug themselves from this fake reality that was making them depressed that was making them self-harm that was making them question you know their gender and all these other things that are happening we take them to nature to get away from that well that, that they're actually going to try and do that in nature too so my my personal philosophy on this is start to unplug your life don't start to think I mean, maybe it works for some. If your life is heavily into tech, then maybe you can start to find all the workarounds, you know, special, you know, privacy applications that will help you get through it all. All of those things are cool too. However, I personally adopt the philosophy of going back to nature and a more natural form of living. 
you know, so I don't need the technology. Like I don't need a 5G fridge. I don't need surveillance cameras all over my life on my doorbell and all those things. You know what I mean? I don't, I'm not too interested in that. But for those people that are, you have to accept that with every new appliance, every new tech piece of tech you add to your life, you're also giving yourself another umbilical cord to the new totalitarian state that is coming very fast. You know, and that's just the way it is. Like my umbilical umbilical cord is this computer talking to you. But if I close that, there's nothing else in the house. You know what I mean? So you have to make those choices, make conscious decisions. I know you advertise on your um, podcast about this phone that helps you get away from Google. Stuff stuff like that's really useful because there's going to be certain things, like I said, where you have to, you don't get a choice in it. You're just going to be put onto this uh, new system. And we're not going to be heroes in terms of, just saying, right, we're not doing anything in life. We're not paying taxes or anything. Because then you're going to end up in a prison. You know what I mean? So you have to start making decisive choices, creating red lines for yourself. How far are you willing to go? So, for example, for me, if they say, right, to access the medical system, you have to have a fully up-to-date list of vaccines. Well, great. I don't have no medical care. <laughs> That's it. I'm done. I'll, I'll, I'll take care of myself naturally. And if I die 20 years earlier, I die 20 years earlier. That's my red line. That's a decision. But start to think about these things now. Because you're going to have to prepare yourself, not just practically, but also psychologically. You don't want to be caught off guard in 10, 15 years time when these things actually are reality. But like I said, we've still got some ways to go for a lot of it. And we still can push back. We still can subvert it. And there's a lot of people that will start to switch sides. You know, some people now are just meandering. They don't really care until it hits them. But if you look at what's happening in, say, uh, the Netherlands, and then you, I mean, Poland's a complete agricultural country. So once it hits here, You've got an army of farmers that are pushing back. You know what I mean? So there's lots and lots of hurdles for them still to get through. And people will become more galvanized as this goes on and it starts to really affect them. So, you know, I certainly wouldn't see it as a given. Just start to think about it. But don't uh, also don't project it in your mind like it's a definite because then we're actually helping it come to come into reality, in my opinion, if we start to constantly focus on these things. Yeah, there's a lot of great points. And I'm glad you've been bringing up the psychological aspect. I've sort of been like this for decades i don't know if it's me just being uh a christian and and coming to terms with death and also being croatian because uh our history you know i grew up in the shadow of um the war i've in chicago i've stared down the bat- barrel of a gun and and mongolia i've been held up at broken vodka bottle uh point you know here in Mex- mexico i've seen dead bodies on the street i've been my house has been like all of these experiences have hardened me and what people some people who criticize you know black pillars like myself is uh, i guess they don't get that maybe they don't have that hardness of like what you're talking about this psychological hardness so i'm like i I mean uh ed calderon that 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 i I had him on my show uh that mexican security expert i mean on his telegram he shows brutal videos of people getting killed um you know blown up uh caught up and I I I, I, so I watch that stuff like because as you say you you're sort of hardening your mind for a potential scenario that you can <laughs> could end, end up in and I think it's good to to stay sane but have that psychological hardness to be able to, to deal with any um, situation and also maybe one more point that you can only do so much I mean I have some listeners that are just they're building bunkers they're they're freaking out. They send stuff. They're very alarmist. It almost like it's almost feels like when they send me stuff that I feel like they're shaking. And I'm like, just do what you can reasonably 
and then get on with life. You know, any final thought on, uh, because there's nothing more that you can do. You know, someone was asking me uh, if they bring in the cashless and then you can't pay your property tax and then they take your home. Like you said, that's down the line. But if it comes to that, I mean, there's nothing else that you can really do. There's, there's, I don't think it's worth freaking that much uh, about it. Like in, in, in the Nazi Germany or Roman Empire or something, if they came to take your house or you, that's it. There's nothing you can do. That's why you need that psychological hardness at that point to deal with it. You know, any thoughts on this? Yeah, no, I get the same too. And it, like you, you know, it's from a long history of, you know, different hardships. And that's how you build uh, mental toughness. Uh, and physical toughness is a part of this as well. You know, I spent my life you know, in combat sports, you know, I boxed for years. Then I was an endurance athlete, ultramarathons, building mental toughness. And, you know, that's not that's not going to be enough just to be an athlete or to do something athletic. You know, that's not what it's about. But what I'm saying is you've got to think about physical uh, abilities too. You've got to build yourself physically and then that can transfer to mental strength too. However, the strongest people I've met in my life are people that have been through life hardships. You know, they've actually been through the ringer. They've had you know, difficult past, difficult relationships, whatever it is, and they've had to build the capacity to recover and bounce back from that, usually time and time again. And for me, that's where I would say the majority of my strength comes from. It's from growing up in a really tough city. It was one of the worst cities in Europe, had some of the highest rates of heroin use. Um, my dad was involved in uh, organized crime, very high up. So I got to see and witness and listen to all the stories I, I knew about violence and you know, it, I, I'm real to that threat, but I don't walk around like this, Hawaii. I don't worry about those things at all. You know, throughout my life, I've done certain things like we did Krav Maga and took training uh, with Poland's best, um, one of Poland's best practitioners. Uh, we've done all that stuff, but it's not because we we walk around terrified of life. It's because what you need to do is build your skills, get yourself ready. You know, if you can have firearms in your country, then do that. Of course, do everything that you can to get your security and then just live, <laughs> you know, live your life, relax. And don't just black pill yourself by constantly watching all of this stuff, because that is actually part of the process that they are enacting towards us. It's to build this collective energy of fear and threat, because when you feel like that, you are, well, you're not useless, but you're close to it. You go back to more of an infantile state where you think, oh, I can't do anything. I need someone to protect me. Well, that's exactly what they want. They want you to feel you need someone to protect you because then you're more likely to give up your personal autonomy to the state or to somebody, some figure that comes, some tyrant in the future, some dictator or some godlike figure that they're going to present for us, you know, somebody that's going to fix all the world's problems. That's exactly what they want. So you, you don't want to go down that road. What you need to do is start taking, what I say to people is take radical personal responsibility, radical personal responsibility for your life. That means you are in charge of your life. You take control of all the controllables. You do what you can within reason. Don't go to an extreme. You know, do you want to live in a bunker? Do you want to live in a tomb for the rest of your life? I, I wouldn't. That doesn't interest me. I want to live in nature. I want to run in the forest. I want to enjoy my life. I want to raise animals. I want to have a meaningful relationship with my wife and my kids. That's what I want. And if I can't have that, then I, then fair enough. I don't have to be here. You know what I mean? Like you, I've accepted the reality of life that we all have to at some point die. And that doesn't worry me. And I live life trying to make each day as meaningful as possible because I don't know if I've got 50 years, if I've got 
you know, five weeks. I don't know that. So each day has to be something that's beautiful. Make it a gift for yourself. You can't do that if you're constantly living in psychological fear and threat. So take control of the controllables, make your life secure. You know, try, if you're worried about food, get a good food store. That's the simple solution. If you're worried about water, get a good water store. If you're worried about personal security, get yourself some nice big Anatolian shepherd dogs that are going to protect your property in your house. Get yourself a shotgun. Then relax. You know, then relax. After you've done those things, live your life. That's what I'd say to people. And um, I guess my last point on that one too, talking about the coming totalitarianism and all those things, it's like, listen, this is history. It's happened so many times before. You know, read upon the Soviet experience. You'll know this yourself from coming from Croatia uh, or Yugoslavia, as it would have been back then. The Soviet experience in Europe, people had to live in essentially a, le- a more low-tech version of what's coming. And they did. And they survived. You know, all of our, your family survived. My wife's family. Now my family, they all survived. They had to go through hardships. They had to do things that they didn't want to do. But they did survive. And people figure it out. You know, people created black markets, the likes of which you wouldn't believe. You know, they were trading motorcycle helmets that they smuggled from Germany for bicycle parts in Poland, and that would get shipped off to, you know, another country. That's what people were doing. And the same thing will happen again, because all humans have an affinity for freedom. It's within us. Uh, And last point on this one, I know I said that was my last point, but I've got one more final one. Think human dignity first. You know, I mean, it's not dignified and you're not, you're not, you are as a human, we've all got an innate worth and value that comes from God and we should be fighting for human dignity and not living in desperation and fear that's not dignified so you know if you're constantly worried about someone coming to take you away don't be you know stiff up a lip if they do that they do that there's nothing you can do you know and I think if you take the course of making your life worth something meaningful, having a deeper purpose, whether it's God. Uh, If it's not God, then I don't know what you're going to find because the world's a tough place, but maybe it's family or something else. But for me personally, it's creating that relationship with God. Uh, And that's enough for me. You know, that's enough for me to to weather any any difficulty personally. Yeah, I would just add, you know, minimalism. I've I've always been a minimalist. And I also think... um, it's 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 a bit biblical because you know you're not supposed to be subject to collecting stuff on this planet because you're gonna leave with nothing <laughs> and i know there's books um you got books behind you and i got a lot of books as well i mean this is just i've got books and boxes in croatia and and, and the u.s and i think this helps us because uh as you said turning off the screens reading uh you're getting a lot of the a lot of the base knowledge uh, to, to understand how the world works. Uh, and then if you do don't have electricity or, or, or whatever, I mean, it's another way to stay sane to keep, you know, I just love reading. And, and I think that that's what people should also uh, think about. And maybe to get your thought on work and employment. Um, so some of us, you know, I used to I used to be a teacher physically going to uh, school uh, to work. I've, I've been a manager of a supermarket um now i get to work online for now uh you know with my podcast and my radio show i I have no idea how long that's gonna last i mean tomorrow i might not have it and i joke but i'm serious like i before covid 1984 i was going to open uh sell tacos in croatia i was gonna because it'd be you know uh because i'm a croatian citizen and the mexican i thought it'd be kind of cool to sell real you know mexican tacos in croatia um yeah, and and you think Boy, about things. great minds think alike. I was going to bring fish and chips to the Polish. 
<laughs> but yeah, there you go. So, I mean, there's different things. Like when you're in these situations, when people move, you know, when we were living in Kazakhstan, um, my wife was getting a certificate uh, so she could be certified to teach Spanish to Kazakhs. You know, you think of the, well, what skills do you have? You know, I'm a native Eng- uh, English speaker. Uh, I speak Spanish. Uh, and so th- some of those are some of the bigger languages that, so you can teach language. When I was in uh, Geneva, I didn't have money as a grad student. Um, one of the managers asked me to help him paint his uh, apartment in France. My father's a painter. And so I painted it. He couldn't pay me, but he painted me in a guitar. And then I used that guitar and I advertised lessons in Geneva. And I couldn't believe I actually got people calling me. They paid me 50 Swiss francs an hour to teach them guitar basics. So there's just so many ways if you just think about it. Uh, I mean, when I was on the beach here a couple of years ago in Mexico, I thought it was funny. I was a British guy. Uh, we were at the beach. There's a British, young British guy selling donuts to us here in Mexico on the beach as a way to make money. And so um, just your thoughts on work uh, and employment sort of uh, going forward. Yeah, I think it's important that people realize that moving to a self-sufficient life and really taking control of their futures by having this radical personal responsibility, making that commitment to saying, I'm going to survive this. I'm going to decentralize my life. I'm going to become my own food uh, company, my own energy company, my own water company. If you're going to do that, you're not going to fit that around a city job. You know, it's just not going to happen. If you want to make those decisions, you have to make those decisions first and foremost. Take yourself out of the system to however you want to live and then start to figure out the financial side. Now, I'm not saying do that in a blase way, like, ah, just quit everything and now I've got no money. And I'm, you know, but what we did, Hawaii, was when we lived in the UK, we radically reduced our expenses. So we actually moved on to a boat circa 2015. Uh, it was my boat. It wasn't anything big and fancy. I'd bought it after I'd split with my previous partner and I didn't have anywhere to live. Uh, I, of course, I had friends and stuff, but I thought I, I've always wanted to live on a boat. I've always wanted to sail. And my plan was to actually sail the world. I was going to work for two years in my career, save up some money and then go sail around Europe. That was the plan. Then I met my my wife. Anyhow, we we both chose to live on there so we could radically reduce our expenditure and we became minimalist, similar to you, not ideologically, just because we had no space. We had an eight-meter boat. Uh, that was it. Uh, and we loved that life. You know, it was very beautiful on the water. We became part of a community, but we found we could save money doing that. And that money that we saved, we could then use to dream of some, a better future or to invest. You know, we could dream of having a farm one day. So that's what we started to do. And that's what I'd suggest everyone do. Start to radically reduce your expenditure, even if you feel like you don't have to, because I can guarantee there's going to be an awful lot of job loss in the coming years. There's going to be an awful lot of inflation, high inflation. You know, the less exposed to those things you are, if you can decrease or get rid of your rent or mortgage if and by downsizing, and that could be moving on to a boat or it could be moving on to into an RV. You know, some people want that. Some people embrace that. Uh, So radically reduce your expenditures. Of course, if you're starting to develop your own energy through solar, that's going to get rid of your energy bills. You know, we pay about, we're hooked up to the grid. So the house falls by default, but it costs something like four euros a month, you know, because we're not using it. If we are, it's minimal. You know, these lights maybe, but I could easily put them on my solar as well if I wanted. Uh, Growing your own food again, of course, you're going to reduce your exposure to uh, to food costs. All of those things start to help. So that's really the foundation is not needing a lot. You know, when you don't need a lot, then you don't need a lot of money. 
And that, you know, it's very, it's very simple. You can get by, just like you said, by working a little bit here and there. And there's plenty. There's stuff, you know, the world might be going to hell in a handbasket in some ways, but there's so much opportunity online. You can always find some work. Like when I first came to Poland, I taught English. You know, it was a it was a tiny fraction of what I was earning in the UK, but I didn't have no ego about it. I wanted to do something. I wanted to meet people, uh, and I loved it. And it and it paid for my food. You know, it paid for my uh, so I didn't have to depend on other people for things. So ne- start to get these side hustles, as people call them. Start to check things out, even if it even if you don't need that extra money to do a bit of teaching, just do a few lessons a week. You know, why not? It'll get you used to it. And then if something does happen, then in the future, you can scale it up. And if you've got four or five different things, well, that's fantastic. Uh, another good thing to do is if you're in a relationship, you can have somebody doing something more entrepreneurial, which you'll, for me, that's me being able to make a podcast and you know to do what I want to do and have your partner do something more conventional so you've got a steady income. And that steady income will be enough to cover you if you've done those other things that I already spoke about, You know, downsize your life as much as possible. So there's plenty of things that you can do uh but you have to start doing these things now you know and you have to commit to those things they're not things that are going to happen for you you know when i hear about the bills my family have to pay in the uk for things like energy and stuff it just blows my mind you know how expensive life is becoming for them uh, and i see a lot of people heading towards a big crash on that front so do it now get rid of your silly subscriptions if you like the gym start training at home get some dumbbells figure it out there's lots of things you can do for voice so uh, i would suggest people do make that a priority yeah, during COVID nineteen eighty four, I mean, I immediately, I canceled all subscriptions, just absolutely, um, nothing, and I don't know what I mean. There's just so much we've gone through, um, a lot. I'm just trying to think, uh, what else? I mean, I I was even thinking if if I get locked out of my accounts, for example, here, what could I offer? I mean, around me, there's there's um, you know, there are some farmer markets. Uh, I know a neighbor of mine tells me that once a week. Um, a Mexican farmer comes with his pickup and has fruits and vegetables and stuff. And, you know, you can buy from him. And I was just thinking like in the one future, you know, what could I offer in exchange? And you know, I'm a native English speaker again. So maybe I could teach their kids English and they give me, throw me a few, you know, corn or, you know, pieces of potatoes or something, just thinking like that. And um, yeah, I, 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 I don't know what else to think. I mean, war, right. You're in Poland, uh, I've I've thought about moving, living in Croatia as well. And again, those are things you can't really control. Although I do, there are advantages and disadvantages in everything. Like living in Latin America, there's higher crime rate, but less chance of war. In Europe, there's much less crime rate, but higher chance of war. And so, but higher cost of living. And like you said, I pay five bucks a month electricity, five bucks a month water. So um, yeah, any other uh, you know points that come to mind for you? Yeah, I think with with stuff like that, it's like you can't you can't predict everything, and it's not a healthy state of mind to be in. You know, to always be second guessing the future. You know, we chose to come uh, to Poland because it was a you know it's Catholic values, the the kind of values we wanted to raise children in. You know, family values, people who are naturally conservative but family orientated, welcoming of other people, however, not swamped with uh, migration like in the UK where it's completely destabilized society. So that's why we chose it. Now, we didn't know there was a war coming, but we always said there's this chance, you know, because I know my history. So it's not a good geographical location in times of hardship. Uh, so we purposely chose, you know, not to be on that side of the country when we were looking for a place. However, at that point, you know, the last few years, you do have to reflect on those things. But 
you know, I think once you set a red line in your mind for something in life, uh, if you say, right, I'm happy to stay or to ride this one out until I get to that point and then create the, the plan B for that point, then you can relax a little bit. So, you know, if it's war, right, well, what's your red line there? Is it when bombs are dropping around you? You know, because what's happening in Ukraine right now is terrible for the people that are living in those, lo- the, those locations. However, the majority of people are just getting on with life too. You know what I mean? It's not everywhere. It's not, and, and the, there's always a process to things. Things don't just happen like that. Very rarely, there's usually a process. So you'd be able to make decisions. You know, it's not like someone's going to come and all of a sudden you're in the middle of a war zone. That's not what's going to happen. So you've got chance to prepare. You can think about those things, create a red line, in the sand, right? That's when I'm going to leave the country. You know, you've got, uh, by the sounds of it, Hawaii, you've got a dozen citizenships. So that's really useful. If you've got different passports, you can move. You know, I can always go back to my country of origin, as can my wife. Uh, she's got multiple passports. Uh, and we also think about where else would we go to? You know, where else would you want to be? So that's another thing, you know, uh, re- re- your region down there, Croatia, Slovakia, um, sorry, Slovenia, th- those are nice countries. You know, I think those countries are going to be safe, but nobody knows. You know, we don't know the future. So, again, I think acceptance, you know, if you look to Buddhism or something like this, that key theme of acceptance, you have to also accept. You can't prepare and guess and understand everything. You've got to live. You know, you've got to live. And I think a lot of people right now are really locked in this state of panic and fear. And if I could just end on any message, it would be that. It would be, you know, think human dignity. Think about your dignity. Be strong, be confident, know that you can survive it. Everyone can survive it. People have survived this many times throughout history. Make some preparations, think about it, but then move on with your life. You know, you've got to be there for your family. You don't want them to be living in this toxic soup of like anxiety and stress. It's not good for anyone. And I also think ultimately the thing that's going to get us out of all of this is hope. It would be giving people a hopeful message. You know, when I speak to people, I always tell them, you know, they say, oh, Mike, what if this happens? What if that happens? What if they come and confiscate this and that? It's like, well, don't let them. You know, you don't have to submit. You can be defiant. And even if they do it anyways, make sure that when they arrive, you've got your head held high. You're not cowering in the corner. You know, be dignified. And that's a strong message. That's a hopeful message. You know, when John Paul II came to Poland during uh, during communist rule, they had to... Uh, the Vatican had to debate with the Russians about that situation and they wanted to read all of his speeches because they were terrified that he was going to say something that would instill confidence in the people. They wanted to keep them down. Uh, But they also understood that if they didn't let a Polish Pope come to Poland, then that in itself could be a uprising kind of event, a big revolutionary event. So they had to accept him and he had to craft these careful speeches when he came to try and get the people to become more motivated to defend themselves and push back. You know, what he wanted to instill that in people. Uh, He wanted to give them some light in all of this darkness. And in his final speech in Krakow, there was 4 million people. And he opened with the line, I've come to talk about the dignity of man, of the threat to man, the rights of man, inalienable, inalienable rights that can easily be trampled on by man. And what he was doing there was he wasn't saying push back against the system. So the Soviets couldn't really say that he betrayed the rules that they'd laid out. But what he was saying is, keep your dignity. And if you do that, you will automatically become a stronger, more confident person. And I think, you know, I always put that first and foremost. You know, you've got inalienable rights. Nobody can take them from you. And if they try to, they're committing a crime against God. 
So you can defend yourself against that. And that's fair enough. And, you know, if you do that, I think you'll come out of this okay. But certainly don't live in fear and panic. Yeah. And accept things like, um, you know, I've, I've run through the situations. I've studied Grab Maga, like practice like, like you, and they teach you to get out of the situation first, if you can, without conflict. But then if it comes down to it, you have to fight. But and I, I follow what happens here, carjackings in Mexico. I see stories about people who put up resistance sometimes to the carjacking. They get killed for their car. And it's just like you when you're in that situation, you analyze like if you can't do anything about it, take the car. I've even thought, you know, if, if I lose my home, you know, so in Croatia, they tried to uh, someone tried to usurp or steal uh, my family's home. We, we We stopped it dead in his tracks that the mafia that was trying to do it but um even i mean even if you lose your car you'll just have to work start again or your home or whatever they're material possessions and that i for me is that part of my minimalism just being okay and you know i I, i've got right right here rudyard kipling's poem where he says you know being able to risk everything on one turn of pitch and toss losing it all and then being able to start again with nothing without mumbling um you know, and just having that sort of attitude and, and to keep a balance, not to go to that full like freak out mode as you and I have been talking about where some people have, but also not to be completely complacent, which I think most of our friends and family are, that you have to have that balance. You have to realize something is wrong. You have to make some preparations. You can't be living in la la land all the time. You can't be living in the prepper bunker all the time, uh, but you have to like kind of be both enjoy life, make some preparations. Um and just you know move forward and, and you you will always be your your number one asset as well Pavoy. like you know i could take you with your mindset and your attitude and i could put you in any country in the world and you'll figure it out because you're the asset you know what i mean all of the things that you create around you all of the systems and stuff they come from you from your creativity from your that divine spark we've got to create you know you could take me and throw me in any situation in any country and I might not like it, but I'd figure something out because that's just my nature. I'm a survivor by nature. And that's what you need to become. Anyone that's worried, you know, don't see yourself with this victimhood mentality. Don't see yourself as this incapable person. If you are incapable and start getting yourself up to speed, if you feel vulnerable physically, then do something to address that. If you feel you don't have the skills, get some books, start learning, you know, we're out here foraging in the forest. You know, I never did that before. I never foraged before I come to this country, but I'm learning. I'm always trying to upskill myself so that in the future, you can drop me somewhere else and I'll, I'll just start again. You know, you just this, this resiliency and this persistency to keep going. And I think if you can start to develop that in your mind, all the other stuff are just surplus to that. You know, like I said, if you read some, I like to read stories of people who survived great hardships. So I've got, and endurance, the story of Ernest Shackleton when they uh, crashed the, the shipwrecked on the way to the Antarctic and they survived on Easter Island, which is this inhospitable hellhole in the Antarctic. Uh, and all most of the men survived. They had to eat the dogs they was with. Most of them were absolutely battered. But people have survived all kinds of terrible things with very little resources. And all they had was this grit and determination. And I think you need to start reading those things now and realizing that things that we're going through right now however bad they seem they're not nowhere near as bad you know my great granddad i've got his image up there god bless him he fought in world war one as a 15 year old boy he lied about his age went to war came back and then in the second world war he didn't have to go fight again he volunteered for the second time because he was over the age limit at that point and he fought in, in the second world war and came back you know i wouldn't trade 
that life for my life. You know, he did things far more courageous and brave than I'm having to face right now. So I look to him for strength. I say to myself, until until I've had to do more than he's done, I've got no reason to complain. And I don't think I will ever reach that situation where I'm saying, right, I've done more than he's done now. So you know what I mean? So look to the past, look for inspiration, steel yourself to resist what's coming and you'll make it through. You'll be fine and enjoy it. (laughs) Enjoy the process of learning new things. Enjoy the process of being out in nature. You know, when I'm out there chopping wood for seven hours, I don't come in and complain about it. I come in and say, oh, that was awesome. I I feel tough. You know, I did something masculine for a change, not sat at a computer. Embrace the new life that you're building for yourself. Because then what we're all going to do is link up. You're going to have your communities where you live. I'm going to have mine. And all of these satellite communities will one day link up like we are doing now already. And then we're going to have a whole network there. And that's going to be very tough to contain, you know, because we're going to be everywhere. We're going to be like, if you ever see a rat's nest nest uncovered, and I've seen this, someone, when I lived on a boat, we had a rat's nest on one of the banks. One of my neighbors, a good friend of mine, he thought, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to fill it full of gas. I'm going to burn the rats out. Well, of course, he blew up the ground and all the rats just went flying, thousands of them all across the marina. They were jumping in the water and swimming. And he basically had a contained infestation and spread it everywhere. Well, that's what we're going to be like. We're going to be everywhere. We're right now preparing to spread ourselves all across the world, little communities building up, sharing our ethos, sharing human dignity. And that is going to be extremely difficult to contain in the future because the systems they're creating are designed for broad scale control. But what they really are not designed for is very specific individualized control. That's why they want a CBDC so they can do that. But they're not going to be able to apply that to Hawaii living out in the desert or Mike living out in the forest. You know, it's going to be extremely difficult to make it work there. So, yeah, embrace it, enjoy it. And uh, yeah, life's an adventure. So treat it that way. I have lived in the desert, in the Gobi Desert, and I would uh, definitely do it again. I love it. And I love being in the absolute middle of nowhere. And, you know, my, my final thought would be, um, you know, I, I'm black black pill, but I can talk about this stuff nonchalantly because, I mean, I, on my podcast, I've got atheists. I've got all sorts of people. Um, but, you know, Sorry, I, I boy, just to interject, what does black pill mean for you specifically? Like when you say that, what does it mean? Yeah, well, for, yeah, it's, it's different. I mean, I think from the from the people who use it, in, I guess, in in the media, um, that it's it's doomsday, end of the world. For me, it's more like materially, yes, things are progressively getting uh, worse. But I, I have sort of, I, I'm I'm able to observe it like like watching a movie eating popcorn because ultimately, my hope is, you know, I believe in God and that in Christ and that. Uh, I'm I'm going to heaven because he's redeemed me of my sins. And I was just going to say that this podcast is not exclusively Christian, but I have people from all walks who share their views. And this is who I am. And sort of like, I'm blackpilled, but I'm not. Like, I think things are going to get worse. But my hope is, you know, people have their different hopes. As you're, as you're talking about, we all have to have some light at the end of the tunnel to keep us charging uh, ahead. And I think even the act of just trucking on itself is, you know, never giving up you know, as you're talking about um, dignity and truth and, and justice, that itself, we always have to be chasing that, not money or, or corruption or other things. And so uh, in that sense, I am blackpilled, but I'm not because I feel like, you know, God wins in the end. Um, I'm going to end up with, uh, you know, in, in in heaven. So I'm all right like that. That's my white pill. And so if you have any final thought, as well as tell us um, 
where are the best places to find you online, uh, find your work and uh, support you as well? Yes, Charles. So, so now I echo what you said, have I, and I think you've got a role in all of this. I think we all have a very important role. Most of us will never discover what that role was because we'll just abscond and say we don't want to take responsibility for our lives. We're just going to continue to live uh, floating along whichever direction they send us. However, for those people that do accept that challenge and pick up the mantle, take responsibility, take radical personal responsibility. I think there's a role for each of us. And that's an exciting prospect. You know, you're going to help a lot of people you already have through your show. And who knows where that's going to take you in the future? You know, you don't you don't know. We don't know what our role is. I think you're a leader. I think anyone that's stepping up right now to speak out are the leaders of the future. And you might not have chosen it, but that's where you are because you've got a voice and people listen to you. Uh, and I think that's a great place for you to be. Uh, yeah, for me, uh, you can find me on my YouTube channel for now. So that's Parallel Systems uh, Broadcast. I'm also on Rumble. I'm also on Odyssey. I will be on podcast plot platforms by the end of the uh, by Christmas. So next week, I'll be doing that that one, transferring stuff across. I've also got a Patreon community. Uh, again, Parallel Systems over there, we are sharing information all about what we spoke about today. So it's about protecting yourself physically, psychologically. I talk a lot about that too. I uh, do a lot of live streams about psychology. Uh, main stuff on my channel is more about financial preparedness. I'm chatting the decline of the monetary system. However, each week we do a live stream too, which is actually more about the psychological aspect. So it's that kind of combination of you know financial, but also real preparedness. And we've got a community growing up over there on the Patreon too. So I've got an awesome uh, Telegram group, which is just for patrons. And we uh, share intel from across the world. So we've got people in the UK, in Germany, in Latvia. Uh, and just basically saying what's happening on the ground there and sharing things that are useful to each other. So it's not black pill stuff. Uh, we've got some, you know, we kind of all try to ascribe to this, uh, you know, radical personal responsibility, taking the opportunities that are before us to actually grow ourselves. You know, self-growth is what we see this as. Uh, and yeah, you know, it's tough, uh, but it's, uh, it's a great community and stuff like that, I think, is what we need. I think we're all going to be each other's biggest assets in the future. It's going to be knowing people. You know, you'll know me. I'll know you. If you need help, you've got to help there. You know what I mean? Because we might have to move. We might have to change places and you want communities. So um, yeah, that's what we're trying to build, a parallel system. All right. You do great work. Good to hear you'll be on the podcast platforms. Uh, your links are in that will be in the description. If I make it to Europe uh, again, I'll have to stop by for some Polish uh, potatoes. And if you ever make it to Mexico, uh, you know, come on down for some uh, tacos and uh thank you for being uh, on geopolitics and empire parallel mike thanks so much boy. it's been a blast and uh, i'm sure we'll speak again i hope you enjoyed this geopolitics and empire podcast the website is geopoliticsandempire.com and i encourage you to sign up to the free email list that notifies you of every new podcast and other important updates the email list and website are our last lines of defense we're being censored and deplatformed it's almost impossible to find Geopolitics and Empire on the Google search engine. We've been blacklisted. YouTube frequently strikes videos. Facebook restricts our page. Reddit, Twitter, and LinkedIn take down posts. After the Associated Press mentioned Geopolitics and Empire in a 2021 article co-written with NATO, or the Atlantic Council, our Patreon account was terminated. Vimeo also terminated our pro account at one point. In April of 2022, the Department of Homeland Security had PayPal ban us for life. 
The best free way to help geopolitics and empire is to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or elsewhere and subscribe to all of our media channels. You can find the video broadcast now on five platforms, Odyssey, Rockfin, Rumble, BitChute, and Brighteon. You can find the audio broadcast on the entire podcast ecosystem, SoundCloud, Apple, Spotify, and so on. My current favorite social media channels are Twitter and Telegram, but you can also find us on Gab, MeWe, Minds, Float, VK, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. You can support this guerrilla signal by donating via DonorBox, Buy Me a Coffee, Subscribestar, or Crypto. You can purchase a consultation with the host to talk about expatriation, geopolitics, or podcasting. You can also become a monthly or annual member via Stripe and receive benefits such as partaking in a monthly member Zoom call, get access to a weekly recording of my random thoughts, and a private Telegram channel. Thank you for listening.